0: Is Stipulations. Magic tricks. All <laughs> manipulations. Interjecting conversation. I don't know what to talk about. It. about it. Hello. So the big red wave happened. Midterm elections are over and I'm checking back in now to do a little like post-mortem. Which is actually too morbid a way to frame it because it went pretty well. So I do apologize for not doing one last hurrah before the election. I mean, we can all make excuses until the cows come home, but my grandma died and then while we were at the viewing for my grandma, my uncle went missing for like almost two days and it turned out that he just got lost driving around the reservation, which is kind of dark and crazy. Um, like literally dark. No lights in Arizona. (laughs) And then it was my 30th birthday, so now I am one year closer to death. Anyways, um, so I got kind of busy, but I'm sure you're busy too, and I hope that this is useful nonetheless. Honestly, I do feel like there's a lot more to say after the elections because, well, maybe this can bring us into some of the The big takeaways. I thought that the way that we could kind of recap everything is go, you know, like big general takeaways about what this means for both parties and what the fears were going into it. Some of the general concerns, Um, then a couple state by state examples that we were all watching relatively closely. And then going from there to the Senate and the House, the big daddies, the congressional count on either side. And then finally, where do we go from here? Um, so I was a little concerned and I think the reason for the red wave speculation because was because of the, the state of the economy in, well, really in the last couple years, but particularly in the immediate lead up to the election. You know, gas prices are high, the housing market has been crazy for a while and is just now starting to come back down. Anything that's happened to anything seems to have an effect on the stock market, which um, a lot of people do conflate with the economy, especially if you have money in it. And if you have less money to put in, you're gonna watch what you have in there even more closely than the big money people. So I do get that. Um, That said, stock market, not the economy. Um, And then, you know, taxes and inflation, inflation being the huge thing, Obviously this has been a thing since time immemorial, the general populace tends to blame the party in the White House, and to a lesser extent, the party that has control of Congress, um, especially if those are all the same, uh, for anything that they don't like within the last couple years. So usually the midterm elections following a general election and a presidential election where one party did very well, usually the midterms following that will favor the other party because, um, generally not us, but, uh, generally people are kind of dumb. They're kind of dumb and they're kind of impatient, um, or, you know, they're frustrated and they're not informed. So they want things to happen, especially if you're in dire straits or straits that are getting more dire, um, and don't see effects on other groups of people. For example, um, you want that to change immediately, and that is your main concern. Not super irrational, especially if you're not exposed to other stuff. Um, so people in this general big group, um, don't usually understand, like, the time, the required, like, voter numbers in political bodies, like, in the House, and the Senate, uh, that's required to make legislative change. Uh, The compromises that have to take place, the like incremental changes that have to happen successfully each time with so much effort each time for any progress to get made. Um, So it's always kind of funny when you see like the economic lag that usually a lot of times can be blamed on the prior administration. In this case, absolutely, you can blame the Trump administration and a couple like acts of God like COVID but then the Trump administration's handling of that for a lot of the issues that are currently in the economy, but people don't necessarily put that together intuitively, so they're gonna blame Biden. Um, But, you know, that, long story short too late, that is a big reason why people thought that um, there was gonna be a red wave. Um, Also maybe, I can't help but think that people in their Republican bubble, like all of us in our own bubbles, hear a lot of the same things in an echo chamber and think like, oh, there's no way that we're going to lose. And then when you add the election denialist uh, tendencies into it, um, you're so inclined to believe that there's no way that we can lose, thus any other party winning will be false, which kind of then validates, it's like a circle. Um, But a couple things before we move off of the economy and the fears going in, um, lens. So inflation and gas prices. Lest it come up at any Thanksgiving dinner tables, I'm sure it will at mine. (laughs) Republicans tend to blame, you know, inflation and gas prices on Democrats. And I was talking to my partner about this and he has more of an economy background, um, he went to London School of Economics for his master's, so I get to brag about that because he won't. Um, But so it's really helpful because I just glaze over with anything business related, which is really great for my financial future, but at least now he can tell me about things. But so one thing I learned is, is probably a good explanation for why Democrats have trouble rebutting the narrative that Republicans tend to peddle that's like, um, inflation is the fault of the Democrats, it's the fault of their spending, yada yada. Um, they don't have a great line that is based in fact to fire back because apparently the economic consensus is that the most practical and the easiest, pretty much only effective way to quickly combat inflation is to raise taxes. So it's really, really hard for Democrats thus to address that kind of, uh like accusation from the republicans especially in a campaign context because it's like hey this isn't our fault i have an idea of how we can fix it you pay more like people don't like paying taxes i don't like paying taxes i hate it so much um i absolutely get the sentiment but the thing is like if we want the government to do more we have to give them more money that is the only thing that works for a lot of governmental change and apparently inflation tends to be one of the more uh pronounce things that can be affected by taxes. So it is kind of a tough narrative situation in campaign back and forth when Republicans are like, look at what the Dems have done while they're in office, and the Democrats are like, okay, we didn't, but also, you want us to fix it? We're gonna raise taxes. And then on the gas prices front, as I'm sure a lot of you have seen because I think it's gotten good coverage on like Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff, um, is that every single Republican in Congress voted against capping gas prices. So, (laughs) oh man, Uh, that was not the message that they used on the campaign trail when they were blaming Democrats for that. But again, if you're in an echo chamber um, or if you weren't tuning in for like votes on C-SPAN or social media, it'd be pretty easy not to know that. So um, yeah, yeah. Also, like, I, I don't know, the Democrats do tend to be more pro-taxes for reasons that I already cited. And it's easy to just, like, conflate any spending concerns with, like, you're paying amounts you don't wanna for stuff. It's probably the Democrats and the government burning through your cash. Which, like, God forbid we cut military spending, Republicans, but... God forbid we spend military spending on the actual veterans and, like, healthcare for them. Um, again, all things that Republicans in Congress tend to vote against, um, anyways, the last issue that really informed going into the midterm elections, as we all know, and as we know I'm going to bring up, is abortion. And of course, I come from an Irish Catholic background, so I'm going to see even positives in the most negative, fatalistic future lens that I can. But I see how well people came out, I, man, I was watching like an interview with a guy, he looked like a middle-aged, middle-class white guy um, from Nevada, because that was one of the big Senate races that was really, really close, we'll get there, ended up going Democrat, but. He was talking about how things have been difficult economically and the newscaster was like, what's the biggest issue for you? And he said, abortion. Women should have the right to choose. And I could have cried. Like, this man is... I get, like, we shouldn't celebrate people for the bare minimum, but how cool is it to hear that being the main issue for somebody who, in the sense that we've been living, is not directly affected, even though I know, yes... Yes, obviously, but until we can enforce child support, to, there are a lot of reasons why straight white men tend not to feel like it is the primary issue for them. But so to hear like a voter in a swing state with all the demographic like red flags that you would assume saying that that was the most important issue for him was amazing and obviously this did drive people to the polls, which is awesome like, I don't want to say it's a silver lining about the Dobbs case, but at least not all was hell. That said, gotta pivot to the hell, hell portend side of my personality and be like, please God don't let us forget. Because this, you know, the Supreme Court case came out something like five months before the election. It was kind of perfect timing for it to be at the forefront of the campaign. Um, I don't know if things... I mean, our brains aren't programmed to, to like keep alarmist changes in the forefront of our brain permanently. So next election, it's not going to, even if nothing changes, it's not going to be as much of a driving force because it's like, well, things are the way they are. Uh, You know, the world didn't end for better or worse for a lot of people who might have been concerned about it, even though it does and will and whatever for others who are affected by the decision. I'm just, it's not a lot of change practically, even though it prevented a red wave, which is awesome. There were enough state-level Republicans who won races. There wasn't a lot of concrete state legislative change in the right direction. Um, California, I think, added uh, constitutional protection for abortion, so that's good. But in terms of other states, like really enshrining protections or repealing bans and things like that, didn't see a ton of movement on that front. So what we need ASAP, especially with both the Senate and House balances still in flux, at best still very close in numbers, we need action from the Senate. Um, And the good news is that we saw some movement start to protect same-sex marriage, which is another thing that's on the chopping block with this Supreme Court. It's awesome. Those two issues tend to be so linked to one another, the protections in the constitution and on like rights and legislative bases tend to be similar. Um, Obviously it's things about gender equity and bodily autonomy and privacy. So, you know, besides the fact that I'm also very passionate about that and it should be protected, um, I hope that this means that we will also see them take action in the reproductive justice front in a congressional setting right now. Well it's on everyone's mind. Before the next election when people forget and there are other terrible things going on like Trump entering the race. Anyways. So a quick rundown of results. Um who am I kidding? It's not gonna be quick. I'm never We could talk all day, gang. Um but let's start with uh, the state by state major players, um, this is to say the ones that stood out to me and stood out in the media, all of them are so important and I don't want to cut against the urge to like be involved in your own state things, but Pennsylvania was one to watch, you had Dr. Oz of weird TV doctor and apparently like killing a lot of dogs fame, ooh this is a weird year for dog killers in politics, it's really upsetting. Speaking of which, which I hate to make this connection, but I did want to plug pets that I love. Um, these pajamas are from a site called CuddleClones.com, and I got my mom and I sets with like one cat on the top, one cat on the bottom, and then inverted, because she loves my cats too. But I really wanted to plug them, because you can get like a photo of your actual pet on PJs. and. It's such a lovely thing that they do, and I'm obsessed with it, and I feel like they should get all the traffic in the world. So, spinning sad dog story to positive pet marketing. Um, Anyways, so Dr. Oz was defeated by Fetterman, who, uh, big guy, obviously he came to, I think, most public knowledge in the general election because he really held his ground in whatever position he had at the time. I want to say it was like secretary of state or some sort of oversight state government position or like lieutenant governor, man, uh, should have done my homework. But, um, at the time he was very, no nonsense appealed largely to voters on both sides of the aisle because he was just so likable and so practical. And Hey, it doesn't hurt that you're a big masculine dude. Um, who also has a heart of gold. Um, He did have a stroke recently, which um, interfered with his performance verbally in debates and interviews. And for any of you who heard about that and is not familiar with the recovery from a stroke, sometimes it can cause something called aphasia, which the reason I say this is that sometimes strokes and similar injuries can cause a difficulty expressing the words, but that doesn't necessarily reflect a deficiency in the brain. It's just the process of getting the words out. So I could see, and I was worried about this going in, a lot of people who aren't familiar with that symptom, assuming that like, boy, if he's having trouble getting words out, it must mean that his brain function is affected, which is not the case, um, but not a crazy assumption to make. Anyways, um, even that was not super pronounced. Obviously, his merits shone through. I think the fact that Oprah, who gave Dr. Oz his television start, ended up endorsing Fetterman was a rough loss for, or yeah, was a rough loss for Dr. Oz because, um, boy, if your own, like, professional mommy disavows you at the last minute on purpose, yikes. But, at least we will give Dr. Oz that he conceded with grace, which is hard to come by, uh, particularly on that side of the aisle these days. Um, Nevada, I mentioned, it was a really close Senate race between some Republican guy I don't remember the name of and uh, Catherine Cortez Masto. She was a returning senator, um, but super competent, really smart, but didn't always have, like, the public presence, the, like, want to get a beer with her kind of vibe, which, um, you know, there were other concerns voiced with Hillary Clinton, but it does echo Hillary Clinton a little bit to me, that somebody can be very, very proficient, but women especially tend to be judged on, like, how chill are you, how friendly, um, in a way that can really, even if people don't realize the gender effect in their thinking when they make such an assessment. Um, it tends to affect female candidates more than male in um, damage it does, or earlier. You have to do a lot more as a, a female candidate to overcome that, it seems. But it was very close, and she won, which is awesome. It means that we, on the left of the aisle, kept that senate seat, so unfortunately it's not an additional um, blue seat in the Senate, but at least it's not a loss of one. Uh, Same deal with Mark Kelly in Arizona. He beat the, like, very creepy Oath Keeper, looks like AI-generated Blake Masters, um, which is awesome. I, like, I can't even go into all the messy ways that a lot of the Arizona candidates sucked. Obviously I'm most familiar with the state because that's where I voted. Um, But Like, if you have two of your Republican candidates on record either being at the Capitol on January 6th or, like, at white supremacist rallies that are akin to that, like, oh my gosh, don't you do a reassessment? I don't know. Anyways, apparently not. Anyways, Mark Kelly won, beat Blake Masters, but, again, way too close for comfort. It was down to counting, like, well into this week because it was that close. And another time, maybe we can get into the ways that people cast ballots. And there are a lot of weird arguments that people make about why it's unfair or fair, whatever. Um, In any case, Gretchen Whitmer, if we're gonna talk about governorships, shifting a little bit, state level, Gretchen Whitmer won again in Michigan, which is a yay. people attempted to do something heinous to her a couple years ago. Some guys were going to kidnap her because QAnon, Um, but she won. That's great. Not so great. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders won a governorship and this is the second dog killer family of today's rundown. Um, Her brother like apparently killed a dog when he was a boy scout and her dad, Mike Huckabee covered it up, not effectively enough, I guess. She obviously was a press secretary to the Trump White House, so it is unfortunate. And you always hate to see the first female governor of a state title given to somebody who is not ultimately going to be good for women, who kind of is a traitor to their, to their own kind um, and just seems to kind of suck morally as a person. But uh, there you have it, Sarah Huckby Sanders. Um, Georgia Senate race obviously going to a runoff, which is bonkers when you think about who Herschel Walker is. Um, I saw some crazy statistic about the percentage of evangelical voters who voted for Herschel Walker, despite the fact that Raphael Warnock has devoted his life to the clergy. Um, It goes to show you the you know, the false flag under which a lot of religious moralistic votes are cast, that it really tends to be a set of values that is neither religious nor moral, but just one that has been adopted under those labels to usually excuse bigotry and judgment. Um bigotry in this case, meaning like he's very misogynistic, he's abusive to his kids, he wants to deny other people abortions but has paid for multiples on his own, he pretended to be in law enforcement, which is a weird thing. He probably definitely has brain damage (laughs) way beyond the Fetterman ilk because he was uh, an NFL player who took a lot of blows to the head and allegedly had a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. I... Anyways. Oh, in Arizona, also, the, um, the governorship was won by Katie Hobbs, which is great because Carrie Lake was her opponent, also a really close race, and uh, she was an election denier, and I'm sure we'll not go quiet into that good night, but I'm sure glad to see Katie Hobbs in power. All right. Um, so the, the bottom line with the Senate, then, is that we're still waiting on this runoff election in Georgia which happens under their state laws if neither candidate gets 50% of the vote. So it was so close between Warnock and Herschel Walker. Warnock is the incumbent, so if Herschel Walker wins, it means that Democrats lose a seat. Um, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, on the one hand, there was a third party who is a libertarian, so if he's out of the race in the runoff, I do get a little concerned that you know, third party votes tend to, in a situation like that, be more likely to go Republican than Democrat because libertarians tend to be closer to Republicans. That said, in this particular context, I think we, we've seen that a lot of people who vote libertarian in the current Trumpish era of republicanism, it's because they don't want to endorse the Trump thing And because Herschel Walker is endorsed by Trump, I could see, in this case more than other third-party cases, people just abstaining from voting if they had gone with the Libertarian candidate, if that makes sense. So maybe it doesn't mean that Herschel Walker ends up getting too much of that third-party boon in his advantage in a runoff context, but we'll see. Here's hoping. Definitely a place to, if you're looking for places to devote some, like, volunteering energy or money, um, you know, making calls and sending letters and doing outreach for the Not campaign would be something that I well, something that I will be doing, um, so bear that in mind if you want to. Anyways, <laughs> uh, at the moment it looks like Democrats will have a majority but still a very narrow one, something like 51 And then you have the vice president being a tiebreaker vote if needed, but nothing greater significantly than what the Democratic majority is in the Senate. Now, what are you going to do? I guess the message that I would accompany that with goes more strongly for the House, which is looking like it's going to be very divided, and it's looking like it's going to go Republican. So... With both houses of Congress, I want to bear in mind that, uh, this is not, this is still a really narrow majority, where it is a majority, we're in a worse position than in the first two years of the Biden presidency in the House context, so if you were at all inclined, I think you all know better by now, but if you're inclined or if people that you know are inclined to say, like, why aren't they getting anything done, The same caveats about like you need greater numbers, you need more time, you need more of a majority, more power, are gonna go for this next term because the numbers still aren't there. In the house they're less there. Um, And so in addition to that, you know, narrow majority problems, needing unanimity to get anything passed that we have now, we could have total gridlock going forward because a lot of things that Congress, as the two houses, has authority to do requires cooperation from the other house. I mean, there are a couple of things that go to the Senate, you know, like advice and consent of justices, things like that. But a lot of stuff has to pass both houses. So when you have a divided and very polarized Congress, Um, you can have total gridlock for things like passing budgets, which can lead to then government shutdowns because they literally one side will stick their feet in and be like, we're not doing this until you change one thing about this bill or until you change something about something else. If you say like, don't do the same sex marriage bill, we're, we're pissed about that. So like, unless you take that off the table for your to do list next year we're not approving this budget that keeps hospitals and schools and government buildings open. So it's pretty bad news, but at least you can see it coming and know what it means in terms of, you know, managing your own expectations, talking to other people about it that I know that people tend to blame Democrats for not getting a lot done in congressional settings, which is sometimes very fair, but... I worry that people will be driven away from voting in that direction when really we need more people to vote in that direction if we actually want to see change. Anyways, um, yeah, we'll see on that front. It does look like it's going to go Republican in the House. Um, Nancy Pelosi is stepping down from her leadership position, which um, she would still have been minority leader. Um, Like there's a majority and minority leader. In both houses. Um, but that, yeah, that's pretty big news. She's the only woman to ever served in that position. Uh, I know she took a lot of heat from Democrats, I think largely after like Chapo Trap House went after her. Um, I would just encourage people to like look at other stuff. There was a great thing on Fresh Air with some guy who wrote a book about her. She's a lot more nuanced and I, she's done some really great things. I think she has a lot of cats to herd and compromises to wrangle, and she's done a really impressive job in that. Then obviously her husband was attacked, so maybe she's thinking like, all right, I'm, I'm out, which is a lovely state of politics that we have right now. Uh, and then McCarthy may be challenged, I heard that somewhere, we'll see, on the Republican side. Um, but that's, that's my recap on that front. So uh, where do we go from here? Um, a couple takeaways and future directions to look. The first one is that this midterm election cycle was really seen as a referendum on Trump Republicanism. Especially, you know, we had some distance from the presidential election. People get fired up about their own party. They tend to be like digging in in party lines type behavior tribalism, um, that might make people more inclined to support Trump because they don't want to support Biden and it's kind of voting against somebody versus voting for, you know the deal. Uh, but now that some temporal distance has elapsed and, uh, people are maybe having some hindsight about the effects that Trump had and the effects that aren't world-ending that the Democrats have had, um, a lot of the positives quote-unquote in people's heads about Trump are muted now, and, um, if anything, there have just been more negatives. There's been a lot of legal scrutiny and—legal scrutiny from, like, every front and every body that could. It's like, state courts and different federal courts and congressional bodies, uh, So he's in a great position to lose fans at this point, let alone being deplatformed from a lot of social media and at best, out of sight, out of mind. Thank God. It was a beautiful moment until he announced this week that he will be running for president again in 2024. Jesus Christ. Uh, In any case, yeah, so the whole red wave thing was seen as a referendum on Trump republicanism. I think you saw a lot of Republicans realizing that and kind of testing the waters in terms of affiliating themselves with him, uh, seeking and or using actively, like advertising his endorsement if they had it. Uh, most of his backed candidates lost their races. So he he openly endorsed um, beyond, you know, the messaging, for better or worse, is pretty cohesive in the party, uh, which would be kind of the last thing to go, if it ever goes, in terms of moving away from Trumpism. But he did actively endorse some politicians. A somewhat smaller number of those endorsed decided to, like, really go gung-ho. Carrie Lake in Arizona, for example, was one of them who really uh, flaunted the endorsement, loved it. In fact, was a never trumper in the past uh she used to be a newswoman here but then did I like i wish there was something more extreme than a 180 because it's just it's so much more absurd uh then became like we love trump we need cameras in classrooms because teachers are evil just a really unhinged candidate so she really ran with the endorsement obviously she lost again not by as large a margin as I would've liked, but she lost. And this was the case for a lot of Republican candidates who were backed by Trump. Um, On the other hand, the Republicans, a lot of the Republicans who had the largest margins of victory, and again, I'm looking in this sense, mostly at Arizona, but it has seemed to hold true in other states, the Republicans who won with the largest margins of victory were not Trump affiliated. Which is telling, Um, it's great. I I think it's a really great move to put my (laughs) not pessimistic but realistic spin on it. I, I do think, you know, Trump is just a name and with or without him, he has moved the needle so, so far. And even those who don't actively cite him as an ally tend to say a lot of the same things. For example, people have said that like this shift in the Republican Party has shown Republican voters and their ideology shifting more towards Ron DeSantis, who's a Florida guy. Um, he's a shitbag. <laughs> Sorry, he's not a good person. Um, I think even beyond the political sense, he's responsible for one of those um, shippings of asylum seekers to a sanctuary a sanctuary city, and one of the weirder more heinous examples of that. Um, I was on Fraudsters a couple weeks ago talking about this with Cena, um, who had brought the story in. It just happened. And the way that DeSantis did it was he actually, like, kind of asked for Texas to bus some asylum seekers to Florida. Or, I I don't know if it was bus or fly, but whatever, to send them to Florida under false pretenses, even to the sheriff in the, the border town who was relatively (laughs) pro-human rights, was very angry that this all went the way it did. Um, So he's like, no, 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 can you give me, like, a, a lot of asylum seekers? Had them sent to Florida, and then DeSantis is like, look at this funny bit I can do with my new asylum seekers, and sent them to Martha's Vineyard. So one of the weirder and just, like, overtly evil... Pawnsmanship that I've seen in the immigration context, because obviously you saw um, this going on in Texas a lot that they were shipping them to New York. There was a lot of human rights abuse, even allegations of like, is this human trafficking because you're sending people somewhere where they didn't consent to go with no information, um, and they're here legally, like they're you're allowed to seek asylum in this way, so that's pretty close to human trafficking. But at the very least, when Texas did it, it was because they arrived in Texas. So you can kind of see like the underlying, it's a little less bad if they otherwise would be in your state and you're making a point about like we can't support numbers or whatever. Not a good way to do it, but at least there are arguments for like why they should have a hand in the The fight. But DeSantis was like, give me, hey, can you give me some like human pawns? And then human trafficked them up to Martha's Vineyard. So that's who DeSantis is. All this to say, um, like anything that's not Trump is going to, risks being seen as not as bad, just because somebody now starts saying the quiet part quiet again, or says one less terrible thing in public settings than Trump did. And it's so easy to be on the the correct side of that that I worry that this not only would get us back to where we were before in terms of the party differences, but it actually will have moved the needle even further to in the Trump direction regardless, um, unless we all really, I don't know, keep our eyes open and get mad about it which seems (laughs) like a tall order, especially on both sides of the aisle. I don't know. Um, Just food for thought. You know, take your wins where you can get them. And this is, it's more good than bad, at the very least, that we're moving away from Trump. Um, Yeah, Mitch McConnell is being challenged too in the Senate likely minority leader context. So that's cool. But again, it's by Rick Scott, who is a Florida guy, and he's uh, all that that implies with Florida republicanism that we've seen today. Um, yeah, Trump is running again. Are we doing this whole thing again? So much damage came from not only his administration, but like just the election itself was so messy. I'm so tired. We're all so tired. And, and not clear yet if Biden's running. Um interesting. I have yet to develop an opinion on it. Plus, I don't want to express anything negative because I will back whoever comes on that side of the aisle. So, lest I be perceived as not endorsing preemptively. Um. Anyways, a couple of the questions that I got with, like, the pre-midterms episodes that are still relevant now. Somebody asked, quote, Uh, how do we convince dumb fucks to stop voting like dumb fucks? Well, that's a great question, and I wish I had the answer. The best answer I have is really nice, really patient long game with people that actually care about you. Because that's the only time that I've ever managed to change minds is when it's with, you know, people who really, like, love me and respect my opinion, and you, in turn, are very respectful, not antagonistic. And I realize this is a big ask, and it requires a lot of patience and, you know, suspending your own feelings sometimes. Because obviously we all feel like it should be obvious to everyone why they should vote a certain way, but it's not. So you gotta be a little patient and loving with your convincing, um, bring your facts, bring your sob stories, put yourself out there, and that's the best way I can do it. Show how it affects you. That's also, like, gotten me the best effects, is like, well, I've had an abortion and you love me, so let me tell you about the circumstances. Again, nobody's responsibility to prostrate themselves on the mercy of the public or people who don't agree with them, but In my experience it does seem to be the best way to change minds. Um, How do the results of the midterm affect change? Uh, I think we did talk about this mostly in terms of um, the majorities, minorities, lack of a difference that's going to make, but also we're in a maybe gridlock position worse than before in the sense that the House and Senate may be held by two different parties. So please don't lose faith, don't let up. Let's all just start gearing up for the next election because it's gonna be the same kind of fight and we're gonna need all hands on deck. Uh, and then the last one was how much does a blue wave, theoretically, matter if we have a Republican Supreme Court? That is a great question. And I really, uh, (laughs) I have a lot of great answers here, which are all, I don't know. Um, the, the best I can say is like, okay, there have been a couple little victories, little, little victories with the Supreme Court on issues that are not social issues. So they at least are not crazy or best case scenario, they're seeing the effect of their polarization. Flip side of that is that they are also seeing the effects of their polarization. I mean, look at the fact that the Dobbs decision did mobilize so many people. Please keep staying mobilized. In this election. Uh, I'm sure that the more neutral members, John Roberts for sure, uh, I don't know who's the most likely to swing uh, because it depends on issue. I always feel like, God, Amy Coney Barrett, you're a woman. Can't you see but by that token, Clarence Thomas is black and he doesn't tend to respect other minority issues. So I don't know. Um, The only thing I can hope on that front is that they are seeing how respect for the institution is crumbling. Some of their decisions that they're issuing, I was just hearing one in a legal education class that I went to today about administrative law and reproductive health about a decision from last term that courts have just been like paralyzed in trying to apply because it makes so little sense. It, if I can summarize it really quickly, it basically Congress can delegate authority to different like government agencies to do things, and that's fine, that's always been allowed. Agencies when they're given authority tend to know more of the subject matter that of the work they're doing than Congress. Anyways, it's good. The court in this case was like, they developed a doctrine called the major question doctrine, which allows them to look at Congress's authority delegated to an agency, look at the agency, um, exercising that authority and be like, there's no way Congress meant to give you that much authority. Cause that's a major question type issue that you have authority over. So we're gonna override Congress's grant of authority and your exercise of authority agency and say no. And basically like the subtext that they added there is that Congress has to be more specific about the very specific subject matter over which the authority was exercised in the agency capacity, which makes no sense, like what? So they have to say it's the EPA and they're determining like how much carbon can be emitted by this certain type of machine. This would require Congress to go back and say, you have authority to do, to like write the amount of carbon that comes out of this machine. There's no reason for Congress to have to go like issue by issue on the thing that they already granted the agency authority to do. And the agency knows way better than Congress. Congress doesn't have the time for this. So you see, kind of the bed that SCOTUS is making for themselves. And it's a big problem for judicial efficiency. I So these are the kind of things that take so long to come back and bite anyone, especially when you think like, cases take a long time anyways, who knows how long some of the justices will live. I'm not saying anything about how I feel about that at all. You can have opinions if you want. Um, anyways, uh, who knows if they would actually see the effects of like, long-term gridlock and confusing standards, but the best that we can hope for realistically does seem to be happening, which is that they're getting a lot of fallout and backlash from the absurd decisions they're making. Will it stop them next term? No. Uh, Does it mean that this is not a valid concern about, you know, how much does power matter if we have a Republican SCOTUS? No, that's still a concern. Um, Oh, the only other sub-answer to that is that the Supreme Court, the Judiciary Branch, does not have authority over all issues. So, the fact that we have Democrats in the White House and at least one House of Congress in a majority is great because there are certain things that are delegated to the authority of Congress or the executive or both. So things that fall there, yes, the more controversial ones are still going to be challenged, but some of them are too obviously powers granted to Congress to be challenged with any merit at a lower level. So it's more good than bad. And it's more good than neutral. In any case, um, please send me questions or thoughts that you have. Um, I'm thinking of doing an episode soon with, uh, I got to interview Judy Heumann, who was one of the disabled advocates behind the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Section 504 sit-in. She was in the documentary Crip Camp, which came out a couple years ago. It was great. I think it got an Oscar and the Obamas worked on it. Anyways, that was super cool so I'd love to share some of that. She's awesome. She's in her 70s, had polio in the 40s, and has been a badass for the entire interim period. Um, If you're on here, you probably know where to find me, but I'm at mkzjoybrennan and mkzjoybrennan.com. Yeah. Alright, well if I don't see you, have an awesome Thanksgiving and be safe. Be good, be safe, be happy, just like I say to my cats. Bye.